This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Quick announcement before today's show, the Big Change Program. You have two weeks left to dive in, read all about it, take the test drive, and see if you want to make 2017 your year to get your health back, get your energy back, get your athletic body back. And you may think, back? I never had one. But yes, you did. You're a human being. We're all athletes. So if you're interested in finding out about that, go to bigchangeprogram.com. My uh, partner in crime, Josh Lajani, and I will be starting in January, and we're really looking forward to having you join us. And especially if your doctor is not like today's guest, Dr. John Chad Teeters. Dr. Teeters is at the University of Rochester Medical School. He's a cardiologist, and uh, seven months ago, he weighed over 300 pounds. And you can imagine the cognitive dissonance and the feelings of hypocrisy that going into being a cardiologist, telling people how to be healthy and avoid heart disease when you yourself are at 300 pounds. And of course, you know, he didn't balloon to that overnight. He grew up eating, you know, meat and potatoes, American diet in North Carolina, and gradually just sort of put on 10 pounds a year, year after year, until that magic 300. Uh, luckily for him and for us and for his patients and for the world, that same month he found himself attending a series of lectures at the annual conference of the American College of Cardiology, where two of the speakers, signs of the times here, were Dr. Kim Williams, past president of the college, and a vegan lifestyle doctor, and Caldwell Esselstyn, who probably needs no introduction to listeners of this podcast. And... Chad was uh, curious, interested. He kind of felt like they were overselling the benefits, but hey, he's a scientist. He will go and do the research for himself. And the podcast, the interview, is really about his journey to that point, what happened afterwards, what are the systematic obstacles to the medical profession embracing this knowledge, and what happened to his life and his health, both professional and personal, when he made the shift. But what I really want to focus on right now is the courage that it took for him, a professional, a highly respected member of his profession and his community to be open to another point of view and to be able to say, you know what, I was doing this wrong and come back to my patients and to my colleagues and say, there's a better way. I'd like to dedicate this interview to that part of yourself, that part of myself, that part of all of us that can look with clarity and honesty and vulnerability at what we're doing in our lives when it's not working and say, you know what, maybe there's a better way and maybe I can find it and I know that I deserve it. So without further ado, Dr. Chad Teeters, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You're here because I've been reading your story all over the place where you, I guess you're, <laughs> you've become a, 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 a famous or, or, or infamous cardiologist, depending, That's on, exactly right. <laughs> depending on whose point of view. Um, why don't you just begin, just tell us a little bit about your, your journey to where you are now. Sure. So uh, as many may have already heard, I grew up in North Carolina, born and raised in all the... Uh, delicacy facets that you may expect coming from that part of the country. Uh, my whole life kind of ate the 
meat and potatoes diet and, you know, generally was very healthy when I was young. I was very active in sports and an active individual in general. And then the rigors of college and medical school and uh, then residency and so on start to take hold. And suddenly I realize over the years that I'm becoming less and less healthy than I had been before. And along the way, you know, I'd, I'd always struggled with weight. Uh, but, you know, I, I certainly, if I really set my mind to it and tried to eat a better diet than what I was on a normal daily basis, I could rein my weight in and, and get back to healthy again. And probably uh, the last time that I can say I consider myself healthy was probably about 2004, 2005. I was running triathlons. I was actively exercising. Uh, I was eating better. I won't necessarily say well, but I was eating better at that time. Uh, but because I was so active, the the diet wasn't necessarily as important to me because my weight was being held quite stable. Uh, then uh, career takes hold, children, build a home, blah, blah, blah. And over the course of the next 10 years, I managed to gain about 100 pounds. Uh, so by April of this year, 2016, uh, I was just over the 300-pound mark for the first time in my life. And that clearly wasn't something that I was striving to do. And it was kind of just one of those things that kind of crept up day by day. And, you know, you kind of ignore it when you cross 220, then 240, then 260. And next thing you know, you're 305, 310 pounds. So in April of this year, I went to the American College of Cardiology national meeting. Uh, Kim Williams uh, was the president at the time. He's now the past president. Uh, And as many of your listeners may know, Kim Williams is a cardiologist, but he's also uh, he himself converted uh, to a vegan lifestyle probably about 15 years ago. So a lot of the conference focused on the health benefits and specifically the cardiovascular benefits of a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, and during that conference, I had the opportunity to talk to Kim, but then I also had the opportunity to uh, hear Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn speak. And you know, for me, it wasn't something that I was eagerly looking towards doing. It was more of kind of piqued my interest of the health benefits that uh, they were demonstrating. Uh, But admittedly, I kind of felt like it was a bit heavy-handed, and so I kind of decided I would do my own research. Uh, And so I did. And after doing the research, I realized that whether I liked it or not, the research was true, uh, and that the health benefits were actually quite good. So around about this same time here at home for me, uh, Dr. Ted Barnett, uh, who is an interventional radiologist, but he himself uh, also does a lot of uh, education on a local level for whole food plant-based diet and health benefits. So he was working with some of the other physicians at my local hospital to start a six-week immersion program uh, to learn about and start a whole food plant-based transition. So my colleagues tried to kind of compel me to do it because they really wanted to have a cardiologist on board. Uh, And so I decided I got nothing to lose. Uh, My interest was piqued by everything I had learned at the American College of Cardiology. And so I kind of just dove in uh, without really telling anybody that I was going to do it, just kind of started on the path. And while weight loss was a, a desire, it wasn't really the initial motivation. I knew I could lose weight if I really wanted to set my mind to it. The reason I started the whole food plant-based transition was really because of the health benefits that I saw and because I wanted to be able to at least speak about it firsthand to my patients because I knew they were already asking. 
And if I didn't try it myself, then it was going to be hard for me to have that conversation with them. And now, six months later, I'm still doing it. I'm enjoying it. And I have to say, I feel better than I ever have before. <laughs> wow, there's there's so much in there I want to deconstruct. Sure. Um, yeah, let's 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 start at the beginning. So you you grew up um, where exactly in North Carolina? I grew up in Greensboro. Okay. Uh, family, uh, my father's family was mainly kind of farmers and uh, small time job kind of stuff. Uh, my mother's family, uh, you know, kind of blue collar jobs. My father was a firefighter. My mother was a uh, office administrator for a paper company. Um, and I saw I saw in your bio that you went to. Uh, UNC Chapel Hill. I did for undergrad and medical school. Right. So, you know, I, I live uh, just five miles south of Chapel Hill. Um, yes. And in Pittsburgh, no less. My old, my old hometown. Yeah, really? Yeah, I lived in Pittsburgh for a number of years. Oh, I didn't know that. I did. Uh, I'll, I'll have to send you an I Love Pittsburgh bumper sticker. Absolutely. I don't get back there that much anymore, but Man's Chapel Road was my, my old haunt. Ha! That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. And... Yeah, you know, so I, I mean, you know, I, I lived in Durham. I'm sort of centered around Chapel Hill, and it's like you know, the city of medicine. It's, it's got hospitals and clinics, and people coming from all over the world. And I'm curious, like in in medical school, like I still, I, I you know, I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school. It's it's still hard for me to to believe the propaganda. <laughs> That you know, <laughs> doctors really learn nothing about nutrition in medical school. And can you can you confirm or deny that? Yeah, I, I I unfortunately have to confirm that, and I think that I think that that may be changing now. Uh, but I you know, I started medical school in 1998, and and I can honestly say I never took one nutrition class either in my uh, pre medical work or during my uh, medical school time, and that that's hard. And in retrospect, that's hard for me to believe, but in and patients' eyes, that's extraordinarily hard to believe that people that they, you know, they come to me expecting me to be this holy grail of information about nutrition. And essentially, you know, we, we glean what we can along the way. And, and I think that, you know, we, we certainly pick up some details, but by no means are we experts in the field of nutrition by and large, which is kind of counterintuitive for what most people believe their medical doctor knows about nutrition. Yeah, so so essentially your job was to to diagnose and then prescribe the right statin or um, figure out the next procedure? Exactly. And that's you know, one of the attractive things about this whole whole food plant-based transition was, you know, I've spent my entire life learning how to diagnose and treat disease, but we spent very little time learning how to prevent that disease from ever occurring. And it sounds kind of silly and almost like the two go hand in hand, but it's, it's a vastly different thing to never have a heart attack and then try to live a normal life after you've had a heart attack. And that's, you know, I don't get paid necessarily to prevent people from having heart attacks, even though at the end, at my core, that's what I would love to see happen. Mm. Okay. So <clears throat> then you're um, gaining, gaining weight and becoming less and less healthy through... Yes. What what did so gaining weight's obvious what that looks like and feels like. What what did getting less and less healthy look yeah. like and feel like for you? So you know, as as people can imagine, you know, medical school residency, it's it's a pretty high paced uh, life, and you know, five hours, six hours a night of sleep were was a good night, and you know, you're 
you're living one minute to the next. You don't know if you're going to eat lunch today or not. And, and that, you know, cardiology in general is a pretty fast-paced uh, business. So that became much more the norm. So, you know, unhealthy for me was I went from a time where I could sleep five hours a night and actually be completely comfortable on my game, mentally acute, uh, the next day without any trouble or any concern whatsoever, to the point where if I wasn't getting seven to eight hours of sleep, I was not at my best for, for all intents and purposes. And then certainly you could say, okay, well, you're a decade older, so what? But then uh, I had reflux that was so severe that I actually would keep a bottle of Tums in my bedside table, and I would use them most nights because I would have such difficulty sleeping. And I would sleep on a couple pillows because my acid reflux was so bad. I started developing pretty significant headaches, uh, which had never been a problem for me. And then the time where I knew things was kind of, were kind of going downhill were I would eat lunch uh, at work, and within a couple hours I would be almost dizzy and lightheaded and vision kind of blurry. And, and in retrospect, and I think I even knew at the time, I was, if not frankly diabetic, at least pre-diabetic at that point. And it finally kind of slapped me in the face when I went to have an injection for some tendonitis in my wrist, and my systolic blood pressure was 173 systolic. And I knew then that this was bad and that I was showing all the signs of someone who really had pretty poor health, and not just because of weight, but because all these other things were kind of creeping up under the surface, and day to day you ignore them, but when you really take a step back and realize I'm the same guy I'm seeing walking to my clinic every day, yeah, I knew something had to change at that point. Mm. So, but you're a doctor, so you get to, you know, you, you live in this world, I guess, where you're taught about diseases and about drugs, and it did it seem sort of like natural, like, well, this is what happens to the human body, and so thank God we have all these procedures and drugs for dealing with it? Like It, was it a- definitely did. And I think it also, you know, for me, it was kind of, okay, if, if I really get frankly hypertensive, I can take a pill, I can fix that. And, you know, if my cholesterol gets out of whack, their statins are great drugs. And, and, and I certainly, you know, to this day, by no means do I want to say that medications are bad, but... I think what really finally hit me was it doesn't have to be this way. I can do this without just conceding that that's what my life is going to become. And a part of me was still saying, geez, you're too young to have to have all these problems and you know what comes next. And I have young children and I don't want to be that dad who has a heart attack at 42 years old and suddenly can't do things with his kids anymore. So those things kind of all resonated at the same time. So there was the the medical side of me that kind of rationalized the yeah, when it gets bad enough, you can fix it. And then there was the just human side of me, of which was, I don't want to get to that point. I don't want that to be me. Mm. And so I kind of saw this as a solution and dove in. <clears throat> had, had you looked at other types of solutions, you know, like, you know paleo or, or, uh, or you know, or any, any other protocols to... Uh... Yeah, I, I think I've done a little bit of everything, to be quite honest with you. And I, I won't say I've gone... I've never done the juicing diets or the 30 bananas a day or those kind of things. I've heard about all of them. And, you know, and certainly with my patients, I come into contact with a lot of these things because patients, you know, they go out and do their own research or hear from a family or friend that this works for them. And so they come to me to tell me that this is what they're trying and expecting me to tell them good or bad. So I, you know, I had, I had gone down the road of Weight Watchers and, 
and had some success. I had done Jenny Craig. I had tried Nutrisystem. I had I had dabbled in paleo more so in premise than in name, per se, I guess I should say. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I probably have done just about everything that you can think of, even going so far as to trying to err towards more Mediterranean-type diets. Uh, but nothing ever really clicked with me, both because I didn't necessarily feel any different, and they weren't sustainable as far as weight loss and something that I felt I could do every day. Uh, and so it never, it never became something that I could see myself doing for the next 30 years, and quite honestly, I did not think a whole food plant-based diet was going to be that either. I kind of expected that I would do this for a week. I would wind up terrorizing a late-night buffet somewhere at the end of a week and <laughs> call this a day and never go back again. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was pleasantly surprised with how well it worked. <laughs> well, so and, and one more question, I'm, and I want to be kind of sensitive here, but I'm really curious. Like, was there a point at which you felt – like a hypocrite around, yeah. you know, go ahead. I don't want to, I don't want Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And so people ask me this all the time, you know, how could you be the guy that, that goes and gives this information and yet doesn't live it every day? And, and it's true. I mean, I would, it became very difficult to have those conversations with patients about the need for weight loss or what their lifestyle was doing to them when I would be doing the same thing. And, and I, I've talked in some of the other talks that I've given about, you know, I would see patients and here I've got this, you know, huge steak on my plate or this huge chunk of dessert in front of me. You immediately lose credibility when that occurs. And, you know, thankfully, I, I like to think that I'm a pretty friendly guy and that, you know, I get along with people very well. So I was, I was probably able to dance that dance better, or at least in my mind I thought I could, but clearly there were patients who would say, you know, large guys like you and I struggle with these things, or, you know, when are you going to do this, uh, mm. if you're going to tell me to do it? And, you know, I, I won't say that my patients were horribly unhealthy because I was unhealthy, but it certainly wasn't helping the process to not do a little bit of leading by example, both for my patients and with my own kids, for that matter. Mm. Yeah, because I'm thinking, though, the, the, the patient who kind of calls you on it, it maybe has a better chance than the one who just looks and says, well... So this, you know, this is normal. Yeah. And it's, you know, unfortunately, I would, I would like to say that this was isolated to me, but, you know, if you go into any hospital and walk down the hallway and just look at the people in white coats, we're not necessarily the healthiest bunch all the time. I mean, you know, there's, there's certainly plenty of us who are quite healthy, but, but I would say as a swatch of humanity, we're very much just like the average public. And that's not, necessarily a good thing. I mean, you'd like to think that physicians as a whole practice what they preach and, and take this to heart and, and lead by example, but unfortunately we don't, and we come up with a lot of excuses as to why that's okay. But, you know, for me it was enough's enough. I know what I'm supposed to do. This, even though, you know, for years I probably, well, not probably, I did think a whole food plant-based diet was a little bit on the fringe and not really a sustainable nor necessary uh, practice. I I knew it wasn't going to hurt me. I knew that no one ever died because they ate more broccoli and tomatoes, and I figured I've got to give this a shot, and there's a lot of data smacking me in the face as to why this is the right thing to do, so I need to go and do it. And then 
you know, my, my anticipation was if I fail, at least I can have an honest conversation with patients as to why I failed and, and then, you know, take the conversation from there. But I, I kind of felt like it would be at least not right of me to never even give it a try, but yet expect patients to do that mm. if I wouldn't. So what did um, Dr. Esselstyn say that convinced you? Or, or sort of convinced you, or made, made, yeah. made or at least made you want to like verify it. Yeah, so I think well, number one, anyone who ever has ever heard Dr. Esselstyn speak, there are no partial acceptances in, in Caldwell Esselstyn's world. So this was a you're going to do it. There are no other options. This is what you do. You start tomorrow. And so, to some degree, that was appealing to me that this this is you know you're doing this because this is the smart thing to do. There's no other option. But you know, when he started talking about 70 and 75% decreases in cardiovascular events and people having angiograms or having a heart attack and then having an angiogram 18 months later and the, the blockage is completely melted away with no other intervention having taken place during that time other than adhering to this diet, from the scientist side of me, that was extraordinarily intriguing. And in the beginning, I wanted to say, you know, okay, this was... This was 30 patients. You know, this is, this is a fluke. This is a, an unusual circumstance. But then when you really start digging and see that this is, this is just a, an example of a truth that's been repeated multiple times, that from a physician standpoint, forget where I'm at health-wise, that's impressive. I mean, you know, we pat ourselves on the back when we talk about 15% reductions in cardiovascular outcomes. And he's talking 75, 80, 90% reductions. My entire armamentarium of things medication-wise at my disposal don't achieve that kind of risk reduction. So that was, that perked my interest to say the least. And, and then it started the, you know, take this further. Okay. Yes, I care about heart disease, but look at what else I'm benefiting cancer and diabetes and renal disease and Alzheimer's. You know, I have, I have pills that'll fix your cholesterol, but I don't necessarily have a pill that'll do all those things at one time and achieve such dramatic improvements. So that was a, a an awakening for me. Gotcha. So then, when you went when you went back home and you said, "Well, I got, I have to do my own research. Like this, this might be true, but but it seems awfully heavy-handed." What did you What did you look for? And what's and what uh, what ended up uh, having the most influence over your thinking? So I think you know I wanted. I wanted primary research, and you know the the physician and scientist in me wants randomized control trials. I want to see meta-analysis. I want to see hardcore scientific rigor that proves that this stuff works. I don't want word of mouth. I don't want one guy who you know gets paid a speaking engagement fee because he talks about the thirty people he did this in. I want to see the science. I want to see the numbers, and so that's how I come across Michael Greger and NutritionFacts.org and and really just a litany of other feeds that I start finding. But, you know, I, I, I give credit to Dr. Greger just because, you know, so much of what he reviews is primary science. And so that became intriguing. And so I'm, I'm reading these things. And then, then comes the China study, which, you know, I, even though Tom Campbell, uh, who's Colin Campbell's son, and who was the co-author of the China study, even though he's in my town. He practices in my health network. I'd never read the book. And so I read the book. And so all of a sudden I'm just 
reading everything I could get my hands on. And suddenly it's all kind of forming the same picture and telling the same story over and over again. And, and with data that I can't refute. So now it's no longer just a heavy handed presentation at a conference, but a wealth of scientific data that I either ignored or was never exposed to. And so now I have to either choose to ignore it and say that I don't believe the data, which goes against my scientific principle or accept the data. And now I've got to do something about it. Okay, Which so, was not necessarily what I wanted. I have to say. Yeah. Well, I'm so I'm so impressed because I've I've been t- I was talking to a friend over the weekend about um, you know cognitive dissonance and how power yes. how powerful it is and it seems like there, there's there's a bunch of ways in which you kind of fought that beast and slew it. Yes. I mean, I I was the example of cognitive dissonance if ever there was one, and you know I think it's now in retrospect that almost seems simplistic to say and you know I'd I'd like to say oh I I kind of always knew the data was there but I just chose not to accept it but I I think that was true but I think there was also a part of me that was unfortunately just ignorant to some of the data and whether that was by intent or whether that was by lack of awareness I I can't say for sure but I know for years patients would ask me or patients would come in and say I'm vegan and I would say well you know we might need to rethink that. We might need to expand things a little bit because that's not going to be the healthiest thing in the world. And and now in retrospect, the fact that I even said that, it kind of bothers me that, you know, I, why didn't I take the time to learn all this stuff back then? And, you know, patients had the right to expect that of me and I should have expected that of myself. But whether it was because my upbringing taught me that was not a good thing or whether it was just scientifically, I couldn't imagine that you needed to be that severe in your dietary choice, at least what I thought was a severe dietary choice. I, I never went down that road before. Right. But I'm also thinking of other doctors I know who are, who pride themselves on being evidence-based and they've heard of Esselstyn and they, they, they managed to dismiss him the same way you just mentioned, like, well, it was just a small study. Um, or, you know, and then the, the latest one, um, I think it was in 2014 with, uh, like almost 200, Bayesian case study, and dismissing right. that by saying, well, it's a selection bias, and, um, you know, even, even like, yeah, you can, you could, of course, you can nitpick every study. There's always, right. there's always something wrong with every study. But I'm amazed when they, they, they don't look past that and say, just sort of basically like, holy shit. Exactly. And that's the part, that, that holy shit moment doesn't come a lot of times. And, and for me, I think it was, and I, I think it might have been Kim Williams that said it, and it, it never registered with me. I I felt uncomfortable. Even when I had accepted the the data myself, I felt uncomfortable going and sitting in front of a patient and starting to say, this is what they should do. But then when you think of, you think of the things that I ask of patients on a daily basis. You know, I'm going to, I want to take you, I want to sedate you, I want to stick a five-foot catheter into your groin, I want to take the tip of that catheter and put it into your heart and inflate a balloon and a metal stent all while you're asleep. And when you wake up, you know, there's a 1% chance you may have died during that procedure, but I hope I'm going to make you better on the flip side. Or I want to go and send you to have a hole cut in your chest and, you know, take veins out of your legs and surgically attach them to your heart. That never seemed that 
big of an ask of people. It was almost just, hey, this is what we do. It's not that hard. But to, but to sit in front of somebody and say, hey, I want you to eat more broccoli, that was just like, whoa, I'm just really going on a deep end here and asking people for a lot. And when you start having the conversations with patients, you realize they're just waiting for somebody to tell them that this is the right thing to do. This is not, patients don't hear this and say, wow, that's ridiculous. I mean, some do, but once you start telling them, and especially once they can look at you and say, all right, I know what you looked like, and you've done this, and you say it's good, and you say it's going to be good for me, there are patients who will say, I understand all that, but I just, I can't do it myself, but there's a heck of a lot of folks that say, you know what, I, I like vegetables. This doesn't sound that bad to me. Let's give it a shot. And I, I think we paternalistically kind of decide what we think is going to be heavy-handed to patients, when in reality, the things that we take for granted are the things that are not welcome to their ears and things that they don't feel are small change the way we do. Huh. Uh. So, so you then you you read the evidence. You decided, well, there's there's definitely something to this. Um, and Ted Barnett had this uh, this six week immersion program, right? So, what what did that look like? And what was your what was your relationship to it? Like, how did you get started? Yeah, so it was it was one evening a week, and it was about an hour of education. And while Ted's kind of doing a a didactic kind of presentation. Uh, his wife, Carol, is in the back uh, making these healthy vegan meal options. And it's kind of a, a sampling, a small plate sampling. And so you take a break about, I don't know, 60% of the way through the program, and for about a half an hour you just get to eat, which was extraordinarily appealing to me. Somebody's going to make me dinner every night once a week. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I go and I eat, and it's it's delicious. I mean, it's it's absolutely something I could see myself eating on a regular basis, no problem, or ordering this in a restaurant and not thinking a thing about it. So I'm, all the while I'm kind of getting the data, and I'm, you know, I'm reading as fast as I can, so a lot of this stuff is kind of rehashed to me in the didactic part, but the, the meal planning, getting the recipes, hearing that, that's starting to kind of build that recipe list for me and kind of giving me some something to take home. And so by the end of that six weeks, I'm down about 20-something pounds. I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm, I'm no longer, I've, I've, you know, I, and I don't necessarily tell patients they should do this, but I just decided tomorrow I'm vegan, and that's it. There's no cheating. There's no, I'm going to do this one day a week. It was just, that's all I eat starting tomorrow. And I think that was probably stupid in retrospect, but it, it worked for my OCD personality, and so once I decided that's what I was going to do, that's what I was going to do, so by the end of the six weeks, you know, I've, I've made the transition. I'm no longer craving things. I'm no longer pining away for the cheeseburger and that kind of thing. And, and I'm starting to feel comfortable that I have a, a meal that planned, that, you know, I have my 20 or 30 things that I can cycle through and don't feel like my diet is becoming overly redundant, and, and 20 or 30 things that I actually enjoy eating. And so both from, you know, what I've, learned both from Ted and from all the reading and then also from the hey I'm just going to try this or I really liked the, this combination of stuff so I'm going to try it with adding these three things and see what that turns out with so it kind of became my own little chemistry experiment of in the kitchen of what can I mix and match and and start new and and the you know for me the appealing thing was once you take the meat cheese dairy eggs once you take that out and you get rid of the processed foods and you're just eating that whole food plant based stuff, 
just go eat. Eat whatever you want. Eat until you're full. Eat more if you want it. And that, for a guy who's always struggled with his weight and hated the idea of portion control and counting this, that was extremely rewarding to me to just know that not only what I'm, am I eating is healthy, but I can just eat as much of it as I want. That's good for me at the end of the day. So, <clears throat> excuse me, well, how did your family respond to this? You, know, you see, if you have young kids, kids at home, like how do you, a lot of people say, well, like, I would do this, but, you know, I don't want to make two meal, two different sets of meals, or they're not going to be supportive, or they still want this other stuff in the house. How did that whole dynamic play out? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, it was initially uh, a large joke in my family. <laughs> and so actually, so when I say my family, this is just my immediate family, my wife and my two children. No one else I knew, including my partners at work, but no one else I knew knew what I was doing. And I made very, I was very careful to almost eat behind closed doors because I didn't want people to know that I was doing this. And if I failed, I was going to catch an immense amount of ridicule for you know either A, not sticking with it, or B, or trying it to begin with. <laughs> so, you know, my wife... I, I jokingly say she she kind of told me she was going to keep the steaks in the refrigerator because we were going to get back to them very quickly. And my my kids, you know, they think hamburger is a green vegetable. So this was this was not met with open arms with my family. We weren't all going to transition together. And so I I started the process by myself. And and to this day, my kids I keep saying are kind of more vegan curious. Uh, so they see things I'm eating. They're interested. They want to try it. Uh, my oldest daughter, in particular, has has embraced uh, a lot of these things. My wife is still a bit more skeptical. She's never been the the most fan of of vegetables necessarily. Uh, so this this really started and has been uh, somewhat of a, a me only kind of thing, but it worked because we found ways to incorporate it into what my family was already eating. So we would make pasta with red sauce, they would make a separate component that had meat in it. I would add, you know, grilled zucchini or something like that. So we we had the same thing. We all had pasta with red sauce, but I had it with vegetables. They had it with meat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we found ways to to coexist and and not have to, you know, reinvent the wheel and make multiple meals an evening. But at the same time, it, I think it worked easier for me because my family was used to me coming home a little bit later, and I oftentimes would not necessarily eat at the same time they did. So it wasn't a big culture shock if Dad came home an hour later and made something himself mm-hmm. or reheated what he'd made yesterday. So it, it worked out okay. Right. So I'm curious why you said earlier that you think it, was, it might have been, in retrospect, a little bit stupid to to say, you know, I'm, I'm vegan tomorrow as opposed to being gradual. Yeah, I think, you know, for someone who, who never, if, if I was to you know, be staring at a patient, for someone who's never embraced that lifestyle uh, or who is, you know, I, I can't say that I've ever had a meal that didn't have some meat or dairy component to it. To suddenly say tomorrow I'm giving up all that and I'm never doing it again and I'm just going to start completely de novo down this other path, I I think I set myself up for failure and, and then to say, oh, it doesn't work because I wasn't able to sustain it 100% from day one. And for a patient standpoint, I think, you know, many times they need to be led into it. You know, let's start with just meatless Mondays or, you know, 
Let's do it two days a week. Or as I tell my patients, everybody can be vegan at breakfast. So I think is if I had allowed myself to build into it, maybe I would have guaranteed success a little bit better. But for me and my mindset and where I was at the moment, it was it had to be an all or none. Because if I was going to do it part way, if I ate a hamburger tomorrow, I was going to eat a hamburger the next day and the day after. I would always find an excuse not to just make the transition. So it worked for me. I, I don't necessarily think that that would work for everybody. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not, I shouldn't say it's stupid, but I think it was, I, I probably in retrospect set myself up to have an avenue of failure and say, oh, there was no way I could do it 100% of the time, so hmm. it's not worth trying at all. And that probably wasn't the smartest choice. Right, I, I hear you. That, so, that sometimes the, the, the voice that wants us to fail pretends to be the voice that wants us to be really strict. Exactly. So if you can't do it 100% of the time, you never should do it at all. That was what I was leaving the door open for myself to come away with. Right. But I think there's also, I mean, I, you know, I used to really be in favor of taking it slow and gradual, and I'm, ch- I'm changing my view. I think, you know, first, you certainly need the tools. Like, you don't want to tell someone, like, run up that mountain before you have the boots and the, you know, the oxygen right. mask or whatever you need. <laughs> But I find that, you know, for people who do it really gradually, so like you did six weeks and you lost 20 pounds, you had, and you felt better, you had like positive feedback, whereas someone right. who does Meatless Mondays is not going to get that kind of feedback, and they're, and they're not going to allow their taste buds to change. Right. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's difficult, and I think, it, I think you really have to, to base it on the person sitting in front of you, and I think that, you know, I've I probably... I change my recommendation depending on what's the motivation and where does that patient feel that they are. Uh, and, you know, I, I've had these conversations even just in the last week. And, and I can say that, you know, what I, what I tell one patient may not exactly be the exact same thing as far as another, as far as how to go about it. But I think you're exactly right. For me, I went from saying, I am the standard American diet to tomorrow. Okay, I'm vegan. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to the grocery store. And I get there and it's, Okay, what the hell am I supposed to be buying right now? Like, I don't even, you know, where's the vegan aisle? I don't know where that exists in this grocery store. <laughs> and so I, I should have gone about it with a bit more planning. Uh, and now, you know, I try to provide those resources to patients so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel like I did or like I thought I had to do. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think you're exactly right. I think that there are more and more, I think it worked for me because I immersed myself in it. And I'm sure that's true for a great many patients. I'm sure there are some who, you know, will like the opportunity to say it failed once, so it, it'll fail again, and so I can't keep doing it. Mm. Right. So um, what do you think are the obstacles for other doctors, other cardiologists, but just doctors in general, to, to begin to believe in this and, and adopt it and start using it as a, as a treatment modality? I think, you know, first and foremost, we as a profession have to stop treating it as if it's a marginal option or a marginal approach or that it's, you know, there will be the few who are kind of the zealots who are able to do this, but it's not a mainstream treatment or a mainstream preventive strategy. I think that's that's got to be number one because right now and to this day, you know, I'll have colleagues of mine who will say, you know, wow, you've got a a great opportunity to kind of be the voice for this, at least locally, 
but be careful that you don't go too far because then people will think that, you know, you're crazy and you're just this wacko that's trying to profess this alternative lifestyle. So, you know, we still have this skepticism, even for those who accept the data, of, of the applicability of it, number one. Number two, and, and this is, I think we're starting to make this transition in medicine more, but, you know, to, to accept this as treatment is really to accept this as preventing disease from ever occurring. And most of what we do is to treat disease once it's already present. And that's, you know, that's been a great success of the American and the world's medical culture. But we, you know, healthcare expenses are increasing exponentially and uh, our ability to radically treat diseases in new ways you know, are, are becoming less and less. I mean, the technology is what the technology is and it only grows so fast. So really the, the next 20 years is going to have to see preventing that disease from ever occurring. And that's, that's a tougher discussion to have with patients because, yes, no one wants to get diabetes, but at the same time, do people feel like they need to subscribe to some medical treatment or you know, recommendation for lifestyle changes if it's something that they haven't even begun to develop yet? As a culture, we've inbred that wait till it occurs and then we can fix it, but now we've got to go to don't ever let it get there to begin with. We can fix it before it ever starts. So I think we have to become better proponents of preventive health more so than wait until it occurs and treat it after the fact. And so those two things, you know, getting rid of the skepticism, not being afraid to kind of having these conversations with patients and taking the time that it takes to to talk to patients about this. And then number two, moving from a treatment to a prevention modality. So, so you've been doing this for, I guess, about six months, right? Correct. So how, how has your practice changed? So it, it makes my days longer, I will tell you that. It's, you know, I think I, I am probably fortunate in that I catch patients at a very sensible moment in their life oftentimes. They come to me because they started having chest pain, or worse yet, they just had a heart attack two weeks ago, or they just got out of the hospital for heart failure. So they're, they're scared, this is new, uh, they realize something is wrong oftentimes, uh, but you know, I'm not, unfortunately I'm not catching them oftentimes in the beginning. I'm catching them after this has already transpired. But to be able to sit down and say, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to treat your problems, and, and it's going to start off, it's going to be very much what you expected me to say. There's going to be this handful of medications I'm going to utilize. But there is this alternative that if we can change your diet and lifestyle and get you to adhere to this regimen that you're going to have some skepticism about in the beginning and that I'm going to kind of walk you through as we go along, you may not need any of these things in six months. And so, you know, there's going to be this leap of faith that, yes, what's happened has happened, but we might be able to undo some or all of that and prevent this from ever happening again and maybe make it to where this could never happen to you or even the rest of the members of your family who do this as well. So that. It takes some time. It takes. It's not what patients oftentimes expect to hear me say when they come in the room that day. Uh, and it, you know, it takes some hand holding and walking through. And I, you know, sometimes I have to have one or two visits within the next couple of weeks to, to kind of guide them down this path a little bit and get them started. But it's, it's interesting in the how as to how much patients respond and respect that and are kind of receptive to it. Uh, and I've I've actually been quite happy with the. Uh, the number of patients who 
say, you know, look, that's that's what made the difference for me. And and now six months in, you know, I have patients that come back that in tears that'll stop me on the street and say, you know, you have no idea how much you've changed my life. And even after all these years of practice, nobody, I mean, and again, I'm not knocking medications, but nobody stopped me on the street to tell me how much giving them Lipitor changed their life and, <laughs> and says it in tears on the sidewalk. But telling them to eat broccoli all of a sudden, you know, I become this this persona. I have a halo because I told them to do this. And that, that's been unexpected. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice feeling to see people symptomatically improve and to feel like they now have some control over this. Uh, whereas before it was, they're waiting for me to tell them what the next step is, and they're scared to death what's going to happen when they come back to see me. You know, what's when's the next shoe going to fall? Right. And so, do you share your own story? I mean, do you have, um, you know, like a before and after? I mean, a before picture. You're the after picture. Um, right. Like to, because you know, because I think of you know Dr. Esselstyn, like anyone who goes to see him, he looks like a you know a Greek god. Like it's right. it's, it's hard to imagine him. <laughs> Having yeah, he was never three hundred pounds sitting on the couch watching football. That never happened. It's hard. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, he was. He was the guy people were watching. Right, exactly. Right. He, <laughs> he was like, doing Ninja Warrior and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, you you have so much more of a sort of approachable story, and it's it's so fresh for you. Or do you you know do, do you use that to help people? I absolutely do. And so you know, for the patients who have been with me, yeah, I'm now seventy pounds down from where I was six months ago. So they, you know, many patients will ask me, you know, what are you doing? Because either you're horribly ill or you look great, so <laughs> something's going right. Uh, and so sometimes that's my segue into the conversation. But for those who are meeting me for the first time, I absolutely use my own experience. And, and I don't have the, oh, geez, I had this horrible heart attack. Thankfully, I don't want that part of the story. But I, I can at least say, you know, look, here's, here's where I was. Here's the track that I was on. And I was going to be you. But... I've I've made this change, it's working great, and here's the success I've had, and I'm the guy who wanted to prove that this wasn't going to work, so if I can do it, you can do it, and it does, it resonates with these patients that, you know, I'm, my story sounds very similar to theirs, and, you know, I don't seem that different than they were, and there's still a few that'll say, oh yeah, but you're a cardiologist, so, you know, you can pay a team of chefs that can that make your food all day long, and and fan you with fond leaves and all that kind of thing. And I, I, I wish that was true. But, but you know, once we have the conversation, we get over that initial hurdle, it, it becomes very relatable. And they, they hear from my past the same things that they saw themselves do yesterday. And so they see it as, a, as an out. And I've had people that if you saw them walk into my office, you would say, yeah, you know, he's going to be talking to a, an empty chair and that person because there's no way they're going to buy into it. And they do, and they have amazing success. And so, you know, now I have my own story, and I have some stories of other patients who have kind of delved into this with me. And, you know, and I'm still, I'm working right along with them. So I tell patients all the time, you know, let's, let's compare notes in a month and see where we both are. And, you know, what did you find that worked for you? And I'll tell you what's working for me now, and we'll kind of talk about where we go next. Uh, see, that, that's, that sounds wonderful and also scary, for to it kind of changes the whole doctor patient paradigm. You're you're no longer, you know, the expert with all the answers. You're on the path with them. Yeah, and I think, but I think it it resonates, and I think more than, you know, I all these years I wanted to believe that patients came to see me because they expected me to be this paradigm of knowledge of of cardiac health, and I I think there's some truth to that. But that's, you know, nobody. 
stopped me on the sidewalk in tears because I was that person. But they they want a partner, and they want somebody that's real, and they want somebody they can believe in. And not that, you know, Caldwell Esselstyn still has great success, and people still buy into his his program because they they know he can offer results. But I think it's it's a little bit different what I have to offer in this circumstance, and it's it's certainly different for me that you know. I am, you know, I'm kind of taking myself out of this hierarchical role a little bit, and I'm saying, look, you know, we're in this together. We're doing the same thing. We'll see where we wind up. But, you know, we're kind of accountable to one another in this game now that, that we're going to do this. And, and I jokingly say all the time that, you know, my, my greatest fear is that all of a sudden my patients see me through the window at a Five Guys hamburger joint or something like that. That's, I've, I've suddenly blown the cover and ruined a, a lot of progress with a lot of patients. So it, it also makes me not that I mean now it's almost become easy because I'm six months into the game but you know the, the idea that of turning back you know I would not only would I be doing myself a disservice but I'd be doing a disservice to a lot of patients now as well mm. yeah. so in, in my own life I think if I graft like my weight you know once once I reached my my you know full size once I graft mm-hmm. my weights fluctuations and if I graft them next to like my my happiness, you'd see a, a sort of inverse correlation. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, now you've, you've lost 70 pounds, so I guess you're in the low 200s now. Right. And I guess, you know, I don't want to, like, pry, but I'm wondering, like, are you, like, are you a happier doctor, a happier person now? I'm much happier. So both, you know, I, I, I jokingly tell people all the time, it it got to the point where I was, you know, when I was going in uh, to see patients, I was always wearing the white coat and, you know, wearing my white coat over top of a suit jacket even because I'm trying to, to cover up, you know, all this weight that I'm carrying around with me. Whereas now, you know, no, I mean, I don't I don't look like Caldwell Esselstyn by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's real. And patients can say, okay, you know, he's he's certainly not perfect. He's still carrying a little extra weight than he probably should, but boy, I saw that picture that he has in that room and he looks a heck of a lot better than he did there for sure. Uh, so that, I think even just that visual cue is beneficial and it, it gives me some credibility. But then in my personal life, you know, this weekend's a perfect example. I, my daughter and her scout group went on this high ropes course. And, and quite honestly, I would have struggled with that six months ago. I would have had difficulty. I don't know that I could have done it at all because I would get winded doing even simple things. And, you know, it sounds ridiculous. A guy that ran triathlons a decade ago all of a sudden gets short of breath climbing a ladder, but that would have absolutely been the case. But I realized when I was putting on the harnesses and all that stuff that it, it says, you know, it's only for, pay, for people 265 pounds and less, and mm-hmm. I couldn't have done that with her six months ago. I couldn't have done it with her three months ago. And so, four months ago. So even just that quality for me to be able to, you know, be more active with my kids and my kids' lives and, you know, not have to make it that very uncomfortable situation of, you know what, I can't do this with you today because I don't meet the weight requirement to participate. That, you know, that was tough. And I, you know, I think before I kind of wrote it off and didn't really pay attention to it and I just found a way out of it. But now to not have that thought lingering over my head anymore, it's certainly nice. And, uh, you know, I think... All along, I keep saying, I, 
I certainly, you know, I wanted to lose weight. I know I needed to lose weight. I want to get back down to that sub 200 again where I was comfortable before. But it hasn't become about the weight. I mean, I weigh myself, you know, just to kind of see where I'm at. But the weight is kind of taking care of itself. It's not even a an active attention that I'm playing to it anymore. It's really just, hey, I'm I'm doing these healthy things, and this is good for me. And look at that. I'm losing weight at the same time, and I'm not even really trying like I used to have to. Right. Wow. Um, and I'm guessing, you know, you said your your parents were, you know, sort of, you know, blue collar or, or you know, not not academics. Like you must have had a really strong impulse to go into medicine in the first place. It's not like it was an obvious choice for you. It wasn't actually. I was the first one in my family to ever go to a four year college. Uh, so it was. You know, this was a. I was venturing out on my own. Period. Uh, when this all started, but it was, you know, the, the thing that motivated me most was my grandfather, my mother's father, who had always been kind of my idol growing up. He had a pretty severe heart attack when I was about eight years old. And that was, that was the motivation of seeing, you know, what happened to him. I remember as vividly to this day, the cardiologist walking in, you know, we thought he was dead and the cardiologist walking in and saying, we're going to do this. We're going to go in and do this angiogram. We're going to fix him, and and he's going to be okay. And remembering how that made me and the whole family feel at that moment to hear that from this person, I thought that guy was a god. And so from that moment, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. No matter what, I'm going to do that. And starting tomorrow, whatever I have to do to do that, that's going to be my career. And so that's that's how cardiology started for me. And before I ever knew what you had to do to be a cardiologist, I just knew that was where I was going to go. And and so that, to this day, has been a, the motivating factor that got me into the field to begin with. And in retrospect, I wish I'd have known that you know, I could have run into a billionaire and said, hey, I want to be that guy. That would have been great. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's it's been a motivation because I knew what that felt like for me and my family. And to have the, the ability to tell somebody else that they don't have to go through that or to, to be able to come in at that moment and do what that cardiologist had done for me and my family was was amazing to me and so and it, to this day it's still kind of an amazing feeling to be able to do those things but now you know i do it with a, a carrot and a bell pepper <laughs> right it, it, it almost feels like you know I'm, i mean i'm totally projecting um but you know i know a lot of doctors who get really disillusioned in that they're not doing what they thought they were going to be doing for people um right and so I'm, you know, I'm wondering if your current practice is like resonating with that eight-year-old. Yeah, I think it's it's better in some regards because, yeah, you know, I, I mean, even after that experience for my grandfather, you know, he still was not healthy. I mean, he was not the guy he had been when I was seven. And now, you know, I mean, this it's you know, it's, it's not necessarily a cape and shining armor that kind of thing that when I come out with this dietary discussion, but. I know in my heart of hearts that that's going to give quality of life to that patient and their family that they weren't going to have otherwise. And that, that is appealing to me. I mean, that's still, you know, there's a part that kind of still gives you goosebumps when you, when a patient hears the story and says, you know what, I, I'm going to do this. I, I like what you have to say. I, I buy into it. I'm going to do this with you and we're going to, we're going to form this partnership and do it. Yeah. You leave the office and you do, you have a little bit more spring in your step for the next couple hours. Cause you know, you've probably made a little bit of a difference and, now you've got an opening to kind of continue forward. It's, 
it's new. I mean, it gives me a fresh vantage of my, my career that I didn't have six months ago. And mm-hmm. so it makes it kind of exciting to, to kind of open that next door and see where we go from here. Great. Hey, one, one, one more thing I'm curious about before I, before I let you go is I'm, I'm wondering about your, uh, your old triathlete self and is, have you started like, you know, waking up the athlete inside you? It's funny you say this. So I actually, uh, so I, before I, I, I said, before, I, I did triathlons, not because I loved triathlons. I did it because it was a dare to myself. And, and you can see now between triathlons, whole food, plant-based diet, I have these central moments in my life where I just, you know what, I'm going to do that. And that's, you know, I'm going to be a cardiologist. I'm going to be a triathlete. I'm going to be a, a vegan. Uh, and so it's, it's almost like a dare to myself that I can make this happen. The whole time I did triathlons, I never enjoyed doing triathlons. Like, it was never enjoyable to me. Uh, so I, I enjoyed pieces of it. I enjoyed being healthy. But uh, the actual experience never did click. I never got that runner's high or anything like that. So I, I started CrossFit here a couple months ago, uh, and I've actually found enjoyment in that. Uh, and so I've, I've, I've been looking to get back on the bike again because that was probably the part of triathlons I enjoyed the most. Uh, and quite honestly, at 305, 310 pounds, riding a bike is not easy. So that kind of fell by the wayside. And I'd actually gotten rid of all my, my triathlon stuff, although I did keep one of the wetsuits. And I actually just this past weekend tried to make sure I could still get into it again if I ever wanted to. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the, the the athlete is still there. He still has envy of where he was and wants to get back there again. Whether I'll go back to triathlons, I readily admit I still get the emails of you know races that are coming up. And so I do open them and kind of think about, you know, I could probably do it again. It wouldn't be that bad. It'd be kind of fun. But uh, whether or not I'll go back to that, I don't know for sure. It's, I don't know if I have that kind of time to train like I did 10 years ago. That's for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the athlete is still down there somewhere. He's still looking to get out. Wow. Well, I, <laughs> I, look, I look forward to seeing him. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> he's, he's showing glimpses every once in a while. <laughs> So um, just to, just to um, kind of bookend this, we started up by talking about you. So you've lost 70 pounds. Your systolic was 173, you said. Mm-hmm. So like, and, yeah. and, you, and you were either diabetic or pre-diabetic. So, so where are you now? So uh, my, my systolic pressure was 118 when I checked it Friday. Uh, so that's normalized. Um, well, my weight is down 70 pounds. Like I said, I haven't used a Tums in probably at least five months, if not longer. Uh, headaches are no longer a problem. I'm back to sleeping my five or six hours a day. I get up at 4.30 in the morning and go to the gym now and uh, exercise in the morning before work starts. So that's, I'm back to, you know, my old kind of energy levels and that kind of thing. Uh, family life, I'm, I'm happier. Like I, I find myself not only just being more energetic, but I just, I'm not, I don't want to say depressed. I was never a depressed guy, but I was yeah, I just didn't have the motivation. I was more than happy to just kind of sit on the couch and let the day waste away, whereas now it's, you know, I want to get out. I want to do things. I want to do things with the kids. And so that, I think, has improved my family life for sure. Uh, you know, I think we've uh, – I'm cooking a lot more, so my kids, uh, even if they don't necessarily want to eat what I want to eat every day, uh, they at least enjoy the idea of cooking with me. So that's become uh, something that I kind of get to do with my kids and – if, even if they're not diving into the plate just yet, at least they're, they're along for the ride and kind of seeing what I'm doing and getting interested in it. So that's been good. So I think it's, it's had a, a 
beneficial effect across the spectrum of my life, both professionally and privately and personally, just uh, how I feel and uh, and where I'm at. And, you know, and one of the things I get asked a lot is, you know, kind of would have been great if you'd have checked your cholesterol and blood sugar and CRP and all those things before you got started. And it probably would have made a better book if I was going to write a book one day. But at the same time, I tell patients all the time, do you really think that I wasn't worse then than I am now? I mean, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are, and they're great, and they tell a story. But the reality is nobody thinks that I was healthier six months ago than I am today. So, you know, that doesn't change the the importance of, of what this has accomplished and what it's done for me. So, you know, if, if, if my numbers decreased 1% or 15%, does it necessarily make the benefit any less in anybody's eyes? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's the, the transition and the recognizing the healthy lifestyle change and what it means both for long-term longevity and health, but also just tomorrow with my kids and my family, just general happiness and well-being. I think there's a lot more to it. Yeah, well, you know, say, well, the, the, you know, the, the numbers could be huge or they could just be sort of as modest as, you know, stat, statins and, uh, and metformin. But, you know, when I think about like the, the package insert on, on a healthy lifestyle and the side effects, it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's kind of different. I'm happier and I'm playing with my kids more. That, that, that sounds pretty good compared to muscle aches and dizziness and all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's wow. easier to sell that, that's for sure. Well, I'm so excited to hear to hear your story because it's it's been great. It it feels it feels like it really is the beginning of of a whole different movement in in medicine. It's just you know when I first read it, I just I got more hopeful from your story than I have from like stories you know even from Doctor Esselstyn, who's just done you know amazing work. And not to take anything away, but you know to have the 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 next generation of doctors begin to, to proliferate this and, and to just, you know, to, to talk as just, you know, from common sense, from sort of everyday experiences. I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy to hear your story and to think about all the people that you're going to influence and help. And that's, you know, honestly for me, and I, I tell people this all the time for years, I thought, you know, my mark on this world was going to be, you know, I'm going to be this great cardiologist and maybe, you know, through research I'll figure out this or that or come up with this new drug. It never occurred to me that I would be the the possible voice of whole food plant-based diet and, and cardiac practice, that kind of thing, that that could even be a realm that I could be a possible benefit to. But, you know, now playing the game and kind of living it in the moment, you realize that I can have a whole lot more of effect on patients and practice of medicine by doing that. And, and already, you know, just in my own hospital and, you know, even my colleagues, you know, people, other people are buying into it because they see that I've done it. And that, that's a huge thing to me. Like, that's, that's probably something I'm prouder of than probably anything else I've done in clinical practice thus far. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, I think it's, uh, there's a chance that, you know, on a small level, for me, you know, my story is the right time, the right person and the right circumstance that it actually could resonate with a lot of folks and I, I hope it has that opportunity to do more Great. so if people want to get in touch with you um i don't know if you if you blog or instagram or snapchat or if you just you know get up at 4 30 and do your crossfit and and work all day um so, so I, I am i'm available by multiple means i 
I'm on Twitter, so I do a lot of tweeting. Uh, it's just at Chad Peters, uh, P-E-E-T-E-R-S. Uh, I am available over email, um, John Teeters, uh, and then at urmc.rochester.edu. They can find me on Google pretty easily if they look me up. Uh, I haven't I haven't gotten into Snapchat as of yet, so I haven't gone that route. Uh, <laughs> blog, I've, I've been encouraged to start a blog. I've kind of been the... You know, a 300-pound cardiologist isn't necessarily a place where people come for medical information, so I haven't gone down that path as of yet. But more and more, I think, as, as people have become interested in the story, I've, I've been toying with that thought process and idea, so I might start that path soon. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm giving talks locally. Uh, uh, as This has become more and more of a popular story. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm steadily getting out there a little bit by a little bit. Awesome. Well, I, I expect that if, if, if you can be enticed, you'll start to be invited to lots of veg fests soon. I'm, I'm all for that. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, the food's good. You get good swag. That's right. Even just the food, that's appealing to me right now. I, I, the swag is actually extra. That's that's bonus. But the food actually is enough to get me motivated to come just about anywhere. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep scanning the, um, the, the veg fest uh, agendas for your name, and I'm sure we'll, we'll meet up one of these days. That sounds great. So... Chad, Dr. Chad Teeters, thank you so much. I'm so excited for your story. I'm so excited to share this with people. And I, I hope you and I wish you go from strength to strength. And thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And look forward to talking to you more in the future. Right on. Uh, be well. <laughs> Take care. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. So, If you don't have a doctor like Chad Teeters, you may find it challenging to eat this way to get kind of the kind of reinforcement you need to really believe in this and get the health benefits and the performance benefits and the feeling benefits and the visual benefits of a healthy lifestyle. So if your doctor is not enlightened, I invite you to join a community that is. And I'm speaking specifically, of course, of the Big Change Program, which begins in January 2016. You just have a couple more weeks to find out more about it and sign up. And there is, as I mentioned last week, a test drive. You can test drive it completely for free. Just go to bigchangeprogram.com and scroll down till you see the bright blue button that says give it a test drive. And you'll get a series of lessons in your inbox. It's got audio, video, text, it's multimedia. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a marketing pitch. It really is some of our best information in the same way that, you know, the bakery would give you a piece of the cookie in the hopes that you'll buy a big bag. So we're giving you a piece of the big change program in the hope that you'll see the benefit and invest in yourself. You know, 2017 is right around the corner. Studies show that most people who make New Year's resolutions keep them for about two, two and a half weeks. This is different. This is not a resolution. This is not a sprint. This is a year-long transformational program in which you will end up not needing to rely on anyone but yourself for your own health destiny. Okay, so if you're new to the show, you can catch up on 187 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. If you get the podcast but not the weekly newsletter, then why not sign up? It's uh, plantyourself.com. You'll see it right at the top. I include links to other articles I've written, uh, special goodies, and etc. So big thanks this week to Plant Yourself podcast patrons Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black. Take a breath. 
Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, and another breath. Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elsbeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck. One more breath for good measure. Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Photographer, and Wayne Pedersen or Peterson have not yet as, as yet determined the correct pronunciation for your generous support of the podcast. Thanks also to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. If you would like to support the show and spread the message, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write that review on iTunes. And you can become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. In running news, I added cross-training to my workouts. I got myself a uh, water rower rowing machine. It's the same one that uh, Kevin Spacey angrily breaks on House of Cards Season 3. Spoiler alert. I guess I should say spoiler alert before I spoil it. Sorry about that. The... um, same rowing machine that uh, Kevin Spacey does something shocking to in season three. Is that better? And been pulling the uh, the oars uh, twice a week now and starting to uh, get the hang of it a little bit and still working on my uh, possibly Boston qualifying pace of 3.30. I ran 17 over the weekend, freezing cold. But as my old college roommate Jeff explained to me when he came back from a really miserable crew practice and freezing cold rain that that's what makes the victory sweeter knowing that the person you defeated had to go through the same thing and they lost (laughs) so i i keep that in my mind when i'm out there running in miserable weather Uh, not necessarily that i'll 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 beat someone but maybe that someone that i will beat is inside today and and they didn't go out and, and run in this weather so whatever it takes right and in garden news not much going on in the garden but we did have tree work up and down our street for several days last couple of weeks and we made friends with the people who were driving the trucks with all the wood chips and we got them to park about 15 truckfuls of wood chips on our property which are going to be beautiful soil in several years and they're going to cover up the garden and they're going to hold down weeds and they're going to keep in moisture and they're going to create heat and nutrients and you know, nature's way of gardening is in a forest where stuff falls to the ground and it gets metabolized back into the soil in a beautiful, sustainable, regenerative cycle. So we're trying to mirror that in our garden, um, trying to look at the wisdom of nature and copy it and benefit us and the whole planet. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.